uh, Revelation Lesson 7, Consummation of All Things. And this is looking forward to the end of world history. And uh, the beginning of that last stage of world history begins with a uh, special 75-day interval that we find in Daniel chapter 12. Uh, it's only alluded to that period of time. Uh, the duration of the tribulation is spoken of in a lot of different ways. Um, it's spoken of by Daniel as uh, a, a week of years, which is seven years. It's spoken of in, I believe, Daniel and um, Revelation as 42 months or 1260 days. Uh, but in Daniel chapter 12, we see that there is an additional blessing for those who survive 1290 days from the beginning, uh, which would be those who survive 30 days after the return of Christ. Um, so something is going to be occurring in those 30 days after Christ returns, which many people or some people at least will not survive. And then an additional 45 days beyond that enter into the kingdom. So last week, we looked at those first 30 days, and there are a few items which we can identify that will occur after Christ returns, but before the kingdom is set up, and most likely before the end of those 30 days. The first was the removal of the abomination that was set up in the middle of the temple, or in the temple, in the middle of the tribulation period. Uh, this begins the time of Jacob's trouble, uh, the last half of the tribulation period. Um, it's also called the Day of the Lord in 2 Thessalonians. This is a period of particular wrath against Israel by Satan after he's been cast down from uh, the heavenly places onto earth, where his fury and uh, leading the world in anti-Semitism to try to stamp out Israel before they can receive Christ as their king when he would return and rule on the earth. So that uh, image, the abomination of desolation, that uh, is set up in the middle of the temple will be taken down and the whole temple compound and whatnot will probably be wiped clean in order for Christ to put in the millennial temple, which we see in Ezekiel chapters 40 to 48. It's completely different than the temple of Herod that was present at the second temple period or the temple of Solomon in the first temple period. Uh, we don't know what the third temple is going to look like exactly. Uh, but that will be the temple of the Antichrist. Um, and so we're looking forward to a fourth temple, and he's going to have to clear away the third temple to uh, put that temple in. So that will probably occur during those first 30 days. In fact, it'll probably happen the day he returns. Uh, the resurrection of the false Messiah would also occur at that time. We looked at a few curious verses where some show that he's being physically slain the moment Christ returns. That was in Habakkuk 3. Uh, when Christ returns to the earth, he encounters the Antichrist who's led his armies against Israel in Petra, and he slays him from thigh up to his neck. And so his body is killed, and uh, then we see that he is being cast alive into the pit. So we wonder how can those two things be reconciled? Well, just as in the first resurrection, there's an order of those resurrections, and the first is Christ, and he's called the first fruits of resurrection to life. The false Messiah is the first fruits of resurrection to eternal death. 
So he will be resurrected in his bodily form and enter into the lake of fire uh, before any other uh, beings enter that lake of fire, which is an eternal location. And he'll be in a resurrection body. Now, this is not a glorified body, but this is a body which withstands flames. So this likely explains uh, how that eternal presence in flames doesn't kill because, um, well, it's a different kind of body than we have. Uh, next week, we'll look more at these resurrections. There's a first resurrection and the second resurrection. Uh, it's interesting to note that every single person will be resurrected. The only difference is going to be the location and whether they are glorified or um, or cast into the lake of fire. And so everyone will continue to exist in physical form through eternity. Uh, we were created for eternity, uh, but we get to choose that destination either in Christ or in Satan. Um, so he was the first fruits he and the um, beast from the sea, uh, which is the uh, false messiah and the false prophet, they're both cast into the lake of fire. So there's going to be two occupants, um, and they'll be the first ones there. Tonight, we're going to look at the uh, binding of Satan and the temporary restraining of him uh, for 1,000 years. He's still got uh, one time left that he'll uh, come up on the earth, and it'll be a very short time. Uh, but he's not yet cast into the lake of fire. He's only temporarily held. Uh, so that's what's going to be seen in the first three verses of Revelation chapter 20. If I were the ones, one making the chapter divisions, I probably would have broken chapter 19 and 20 at uh, Revelation chapter 20, verse 3, because it's only after that that we begin dealing with actual millennial kingdom issues. So that's the first 30 days after Christ returns. Uh, we've got uh, the removal of the abomination of desolation, the resurrection of the false Messiah after he was slain, uh, the casting of the false prophet and the false Messiah into the lake of fire, and the uh, temporary restraining of the great dragon or Satan uh, in the abyss. There's still 45 days left. And so during those 45 days, there's a series of purifying judgments and resurrections that will occur. The first is the judgment of mortal survivors. So these are those who survive the tribulation period in their mortal bodies. Um, they will be judged, and those who are uh, unbelievers will not survive this judgment, uh, and those who are believers will survive be rewarded and enter into the kingdom. Again, we look to Daniel chapter 12. Uh, verse 1 says, Now at that time, Michael, the great prince who stands guard over the sons of your people, will arise, and there will be a time of distress such as never occurred since there was a nation until that time. So the particular focus is on the nation of Israel. Michael is the special guardian over Israel, and we saw in Revelation chapter 12. Uh, that he is uh, occupied with a battle against Satan at this time, and he's the one who throws him down to the earth. Um, and at that time, your people, being Israelites or Jews, everyone who is found in the book, uh, this uh, we would probably understand as those who have their name written in the book of life, 
uh, those who have put their trust in God for salvation. At this time, they wouldn't have known that's Jesus Christ. That was a later revelation. But the uh, object of their trust is still going to be that same promise of God that he is going to save them. So those who have believed in God or trusted in him for righteousness rather than themselves, that would be what the New Testament calls the Israel of God, the remnant of Israel. Um, at that time, your people, everyone who is found in the book of life will be rescued. So the remnant of Israel at the end of this period of distress, um, whoever are believers will be rescued. Matthew 24, 9 speaks of this as well. Uh, then they will deliver you to tribulation and will kill you, and you will be hated by all nations because of my name. But the one who endures to the end, he will be saved. This is from the Olivet Discourse. The Olivet Discourse uh, was uh, prompted in response to a question from the disciples when they asked Christ when the temple would be destroyed when he would uh, return, and when the end of the age would be. This was three different, or there are three different uh, answers for that, because there's three different questions, but the disciples asked it as if it were one question. They kind of expected all of that to be one, one period of time. Uh, so Christ gives three answers, and he separates all those things out. First, he tells them about 70 AD when uh, the temple would be destroyed, the temple of Herod. But then he jumps and starts talking to them about the tribulation period because it's after that that he returns and it's after that uh, that the end of the age comes. So this is his description then, um, starting in verse 9 and going through, um, well, really through the end of the book, he is discussing tribulation issues. So those who are surviving this tribulation, those who endure to the end, those who are not killed by the Antichrist, the false Messiah, before the end of the tribulation, those will be saved. And here we say saved from what? Uh, saved from both the wrath of God, but also the wrath of Satan. There's going to be an end put to the tribulation. That's explained better a few verses later, verse 21, Matthew 24. For then there will be a great tribulation such as has not occurred since the beginning of the world until now, nor ever will. Unless those days had been cut short, no life would have been saved. But for the sake of the elect, that's Israel in this context, those days will be cut short. So their lives were spared. They were saved by, the, uh, by God's judicial restraint on Satan, stopping the tribulation period from going on until uh, all life had been wiped out. Uh, this wasn't a new revelation for Daniel or even for Christ in the Olivet Discourse. Uh, this actually goes back to the very foundation of Israel. Their promise of physical regathering at the end of the age has always been part of the plan. Deuteronomy chapter 30, before they even enter into the land, Moses lays out their whole history for them uh, ahead of time. Chapter 30, verse 1, uh, Moses says, So it shall be when all of these things have come upon you, the blessing and the cursing which I have set before you, and you call them to mind in all the nations where the Lord your God has banished you, and you return to the Lord your God and obey him with all your heart and soul according to all that I commanded you today, you and your sons. Then the Lord your God will restore you from captivity and have compassion on you and will gather you again from all the peoples where the Lord your God has scattered you. 
If your outcasts are at the ends of the earth, from there the Lord your God will gather you, and from there he will bring you back. The Lord your God will bring you into the land which your fathers possessed, and you shall possess it, and he will prosper you and multiply you more than your fathers. Moreover, the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, so that you may live. So that's new covenant language. That's the promise that they would be uh, finally restored and perfected even. They were about to go through thousands of years of failing to keep the law in their own righteousness and learning to need the righteousness of someone else, uh, learning to need the righteousness of the Messiah. Once they finally come to that and they recognize their Messiah and who he is, uh, this is the restoration of Israel spiritually. And once they're restored spiritually, they'll be restored physically to the land as well. Joel 3, uh, verse 1 says, For behold, in those days and at that time, when I restore the fortunes of Judah and Jerusalem, I will gather all the nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat. Then I will enter into judgment with them there on behalf of my people and my inheritance, Israel, whom they have scattered among the nations, and they have divided up my land. So we get the location as well, the Valley of Jehoshaphat. Uh, interestingly enough, this is uh, the Valley of Armageddon as well. This is just north of Jerusalem. Uh, Ezekiel 20 tells us about the judgment that is specific to Israel. So all nations are going to be gathered um, to an area just outside of Jerusalem, and Israel and the other nations are going to be judged separately. It apparently will start with a judgment on living Israel. Ezekiel 20, verse 33 says, As I live, declares the Lord God, surely with a mighty hand and with an outstretched arm and with wrath poured out, that's a perfective tense, so wrath having already been poured out, um, I shall be king over you. I will bring you out from the peoples and gather you from the lands where you were scattered with a mighty hand and with an outstretched arm and with wrath poured out. And I will bring you into the wilderness of the peoples, and there I will enter into judgment with you face to face. As I entered into judgment with your fathers in the wilderness of the land of Egypt, so I will enter into judgment with you, declares the Lord God. I will make you pass under the rod and will bring you into the bond of the covenant. And I will purge from you the rebels and those who transgress against me. I will bring them out of the land where they sojourn, uh, but they will not enter the land of Israel. Thus you will know that I am the Lord. So all of Israel is going to be regathered, but only those uh, who have come under the bond of the covenant, those who have been restored spiritually, uh, will be allowed to enter into the land of Israel, which will become the millennial inheritance. Um, he's going to purge out all of those who are rebels, and those rebels would be the ones who have not received Christ as the Messiah. Uh, this little passage in Ezekiel 20 concludes, as I, oops, that I'd repeat that. Uh, yeah, thus you'll know that I am the Lord. That was a duplicate. Matthew 24, uh, or actually Matthew 24 and 25 also reference these judgments, uh, but it references them in parables. Parables are not a good place to Put the foundation of a doctrine. Uh, Jesus is 
not teaching them anything new in the parables, but he's referring to what they would have already understood in their collective Jewish understanding of Old Testament prophecy. Israel already understood that there would be a period of judgment preceding the coming Messiah. And so he's alluding to those here with word pictures. Um, the end of Matthew 24 has one parable called the parable of the servant. This is the judgment of the leadership of Israel, where those leaders who are put uh, in charge of Israel, those responsible of leading the sheep of Israel, uh, will be judged for how they led. Uh, this uh, is taught in Isaiah chapter 13 and Zechariah, or uh, yeah, Zechariah chapter 13. And uh, the whole Olivet Discourse was really prompted by uh, the rejection of Christ by the leadership of Israel in first century, um, by the first century Jews. It was the Pharisees and an encounter with the Pharisees uh, on two occasions that prompted these, uh, these long discourses by Christ where he taught about uh, the judgment on Israel. One was in chapter 12, where they rejected him for the first time. The other was in Matthew chapter 22 and 23, where they rejected him in the final week before he was crucified. Uh, so those leaders of Israel will be judged, especially um, for their conduct in Israel and how they handled that privilege that they had to be leaders in Israel. Matthew 25 then begins with the parable of the ten virgins. Uh, this is the... Um, this is what we just looked at in Ezekiel 20. This shows us in parable form that same teaching that was before, where individuals will be um, judged on the basis of whether they are prepared for the Messiah or not. Uh, they've already learned the identity of the Messiah now from the gospel period. Um, those who receive Jesus as that Messiah will be allowed to enter into the kingdom. Uh, finally, then there's the parable of the talents. And this is an, a neat uh, parable, I think, uh, which does the same or has the same basic argument as Romans 9 through 11, uh, which establishes the unique privilege of Israel and how they were given um, privilege beyond the other nations with the oracles of God, uh, the Messiah of God. Uh, they were really in the best position to receive salvation individually and nationally. They're going to be judged based on how they. Um, handled that position of privilege. If they receive the word of God and actually do something with it, meaning believe in it, trust in God, learn about God's righteousness, and so desire it and trust in it, uh, they'll be rewarded for that, and they'll be uh, they will continue into the kingdom to rule with Him. Uh, but if they, even for um, respect of Scripture, put it away and do nothing with it, um, if it's just uh, uh, old sacred traditional document, but they don't actually believe or trust in it. Uh, even that is going to be taken away from them and their position of privilege will not have done anything for them. It'll actually bring greater judgment on them. So those parables, uh, they can be kind of tricky at the end of uh, the Olivet Discourse, uh, but these all speak of that judgment on Israel at the end of the tribulation period. Right after that, we get the sheep and goat judgment. Uh, this is the judgment of the Gentile nations after God has finished in judging uh, the Jews at the end of the tribulation. So in Matthew 25, 31, uh, we read that, but when the Son of Man comes in his glory 
and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. And this is a throne of judgment. All the nations, and this is the Greek word ethne, uh, which is also the word for Gentiles. For some reason, it's been uh, unanimously translated nations into most English translations. Uh, but this specifically is those nations which are not Israel, uh, the Gentiles. Uh, those, uh, all the nations or all the Gentiles will be gathered before him and he will separate them from one another as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats and he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Uh, now, um, Christ spoke these words, used these images of um, sheep and goats. And it wasn't that long before this where he had used a similar image uh, when speaking to the Pharisees. And told them that I am the good shepherd and I know my own and my own know me, even as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep which are not of this fold. So he's speaking to the leaders of first century Israel, telling them that he has sheep that are not of the first century Israel or not of Israel. He has other sheep as well. I must bring them also and they will hear my voice and they will become one flock with one shepherd. So he's continuing this imagery now, um, a few, I think this is either a few weeks or a few months later, after the uh, the Good Shepherd discourse. He is now tying this into eschatology and showing these other sheep that are going to come out of this tribulation period. We as the church are also called sheep. Uh, and so we have three groups here, at least, where we've got Israel, we've got uh, Christians during this age, we've got tribulation saints that survive the tribulation. Um, these are all part of his flock, and they're all brought in together. Uh, then the king will say to those on his right, being the sheep, Come you who are blessed of my father and inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. Naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Uh, so the they are entering into the kingdom and they're entering it based on what appears to be works. We're, we're going to look at that in a second once we get to the end of this. Uh, then the righteousness or the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? And when did we see you a stranger and invite you in or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, truly, I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it to me. So Christ is speaking now to Gentile uh, believers at the end of the tribulation, and he is discussing or he is um, basing their entrance into the kingdom on how they treated um, his fellow Jews, uh, his brothers. This is not a judgment for salvation based on works, so their works are going to reflect um, the faith that they have. There is not going to be the same ability as we have in the tribulation period to distinguish faith in Christ um, from being pro-Israel or pro-Jew. Uh, today, there's a lot of anti-Semitism even within the church, uh, and a lot of that has to do with part of the unique nature of the church, uh, where the church and church doctrine is a stumbling block to Jews, where the law has been subjugated, Christ has fulfilled it completely, and so uh, many Christians uh, wrongly believe that um, 
that God is somehow anti-Jew or that the Jews are the reason that Christ was uh, killed and that they ought to be some sort of enemy. Uh, Martin Luther really spearheaded that crusade against the Jews in the later part of his life, and it's unfortunately stuck around. During the tribulation period, there will be no question uh, that the gospel is a Jewish gospel. It will come from the Jewish people, the 144,000 of the 12 um, tribes will be the ones initiated to spread the gospel around uh, the world. The two witnesses in Jerusalem uh, will bring the gospel of the kingdom. The angel that brings the gospel of the kingdom around the world uh, that we saw in Revelation chapter 14. Uh, the gospel is going to come out from Israel, and it is going to be a gospel not just of the risen Savior, but the risen Savior returning to rule the earth from his throne in Jerusalem. Uh, those who come to faith during the tribulation period will not be able to separate the coming Messiah from Israel, the nation where he will uh, come to be king. And so it's clear here that they have understood that to be aligned with Christ is to be aligned with what he is doing uh, in Israel, and that Israel and their regeneration is going to bring in the kingdom. Satan, on the other hand, will have his particular uh, point of wrath focused in on the Jewish people, uh, trying to destroy the Jewish people in Jerusalem and in Petra. Uh, the world is going to be split diametrically to uh, oppose Israel, the people of God, during the tribulation period will be uh, pretty much only the practice of unbelievers. So this is going to be a very good indicator of who is a believer and who is not, how they treated Israel. Uh, Matthew 25, 41, then he will say also to those on his left, depart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire, which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, you did not invite me in. Naked, you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they themselves will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry, or thirsty, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not take care of you? Then he will answer them, truly I say to you, to the extent that you did not do it to one of, these, one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. These will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. So this is the entrance and inheritance of the kingdom to those uh, Gentile believers as well uh, at the end of the tribulation period. So that's the judgment of those who survive the tribulation. It'll probably occur uh, during those last 45 days before the tribulation or before the kingdom begins. Uh, then we get the series of resurrections of those who are going to enter into the kingdom um, who did not live physically uh, to the point of the beginning of the kingdom. Again, Matthew 24, verse 30, speaking of the end of the uh, tribulation. And then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and that marked the uh, return of Christ. That was a direct answer that Jesus gave to the disciples about what will be the sign um, of your return. And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds uh, of the sky with power and great glory. And he will send forth angels and a, with a great trumpet, and they will gather together his elect from the four winds and from the four ends of the sky 
uh, to the other. Now, this may be a reference just to the regathering of physical Israel that's still alive, uh, but the domain here referenced may be expanded to those who are um, who had uh, previously died and are in the Uranu or the sky, uh, the heavens. So this may be an actual resurrection uh, verse as well for Israel. But once again, we do have Old Testament scriptures to um, indicate that this will occur. Isaiah 26, 19, for example, uh, speaking to the nation of Israel, your dead will live, their corpses will rise. You who lie in the dust, awake and shout for joy, for your dew is as the dew of dawn, and the earth will give birth to the departed spirits. This is specifically the resurrection of Israel promised to that nation uh, as they're about to go into captivity in Babylon. Daniel 12, once again, many of those who sleep in the dust of the ground will awake these to everlasting life, but others to disgrace and everlasting contempt. So here we have both the first and the second resurrection in view. And a few verses later in chapter 13, we get uh, an indication of the timing of Israel's resurrection. Daniel 12, 13, as for you, go your way to the end. Then you will enter into rest and rise again for your allotted portion at the end of the age. And this uh, was specifically speaking in that context of entering into the kingdom. He, uh, these angels came to tell Daniel that the kingdom was not about to start uh, at the end of a 70-year period that he expected uh, to be in captivity in Babylon. So that's uh, Daniel chapter 9. Daniel begins praying. He sees that the 70 years have almost completed, and he's expecting that the Messiah will come at that point and establish the kingdom. An angel comes to tell him, no, it's not going to start um, here after 70 years, but you're actually going to have 70 times seven that you've got to wait for the coming Messiah. Then he's going to be cut off for a little while. Then there's going to be another period of seven years. Then he's going to come back. Um, so that's uh, the whole purpose behind Daniel's 70 weeks is to explain the coming of the kingdom. And so here's, here's the answer given to Daniel. You're not going to survive to see it. You're not going to live physically to that point, but you will be resurrected into that kingdom. At that time, we also have the resurrection of the tribulation saints, those uh, tribulation martyrs who did not survive uh, physically to the end of the tribulation. They don't miss out on anything except for the wrath of God on earth and the wrath of Satan on Israel. They will be uh, resurrected at the end of the tribulation before the kingdom commences. Revelation chapter 20, uh, especially the second half of that pretty long verse, says, And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony of Jesus and because of the word of God, and those who had not worshipped the beast or his image, and had not received the mark on their forehead and on their hand. And they came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. So their reign is going to be for the complete period of 1,000 years. They have to be resurrected at least at the beginning, if not slightly before. This period of 45 days is uh, probably that slot where they're going to be resurrected, right along with the uh, Old Testament saints. Now, once all the Old Testament saints, being everyone from Adam up through uh, even John the Baptist, once they are resurrected, 
And once the tribulation saints are resurrected, those who died after uh, the church was taken out of this earth, ending uh, the church age, um, the church age saints have already been resurrected. Second Thessalonians or First Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17 tell us that our resurrection is actually going to precede this whole period. Uh, will be taken away in bodily form um, if we are still here alive, or we will be resurrected into our bodily form, into our resurrection bodies uh, before the tribulation even begins. So we have every saint from all of history resurrected before the kingdom begins. And then the marriage feast of the Lamb uh, begins. In Revelation 19.9, before Christ uh, returned in uh, verses 11 through 19 or so is that uh, process of his return. We had uh, the revelation of the marriage of the Lamb. Then he said to me, write, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Now this marriage supper would be the, the uh, festival or the celebration after a marriage occurred. Um, and he said to me, these are the true words of God. So there are invitees who are not themselves uh, the, the ones married to the lamb, but they're invited to come to this marriage um, supper. Uh, John the Baptist spoke of himself as one of these friends of the bridegroom. He is not himself uh, married to the bride. He is not himself the bride. He is a friend of the bridegroom. He is, uh, he is one of the Old Testament saints. He was the last of the Old Testament prophets even though we only meet him in the New Testament. Uh, that was the period where that Old Testament series of how God was operating on earth was coming to an end. Matthew 22, again, in response to uh, the Pharisees and just before their final rejection of him, uh, Christ is explaining to them how it came to be that first century Israel refused or rejected uh, the Messiah. And he speaks to them as if they were guests to come to a marriage feast. They themselves were not the bride, uh, but they were invited guests to this celebration of a marriage. Matthew 22, verse 2 says, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. And he sent out his slaves to call all those who had been invited to the wedding feast. And they were unwilling to come. Again, he sent out other slaves saying, tell those who have been invited, behold, I have prepared my dinner for my oxen or my dinner. My oxen and my fatted livestock are all butchers and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention and went their way, one to his own farm and another to his business. And the rest seized his slaves and mistreated them and killed them. Uh, but the king was enraged and he sent his armies and destroyed those murderers and set their cities on fire. Uh, now, this uh, up through verse six here pretty much describes the whole uh, the whole period of the Gospels in a nutshell. The kingdom was offered. First century Israel was invited to the kingdom, um, and they turned it down. They rejected it. Uh, they specifically uh, rejected the bridegroom, the Messiah. They ended up killing him over it. They killed John the Baptist, or um, Herod ended up killing the, John the Baptist, uh, and then Christ was killed because of it. Through the period after uh, Christ's ascension, they continued killing the apostles, 
and eventually the judgment of AD 70 came and Israel, first century, was destroyed. Uh, but we see that it continues and it's now moving from first century to that final um, generation of Israel to whom uh, the kingdom will be offered after the tribulation period. Then he said to his slaves, the wedding is ready, but those who are invited were not worthy. Go, therefore, to the main highways, and as many as you find there, invite to the wedding feast. Those slaves went out into the street and gathered together all they found, both evil and good, and the wedding hall was filled with dinner guests. But when the king came in to look over the dinner guests, he saw a man there who was not dressed in wedding clothes, and said to him, Friend, how did you come in here without wedding clothes? And the man was speechless. And then the king said to the servants, Bind him hand and foot and throw him into outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are called and few are chosen. Uh, this is simply just a parable referring to that uh, period after Christ's return and before the entrance into the kingdom, where only those who have the righteousness of Christ, being um, his the uh, perfect wedding garment. We looked at that in Revelation chapter 19, verse 8, uh, the wedding garments. It's the righteousness of Christ. Those who do not have the righteousness of Jesus, the Messiah, will not enter into this celebration, but all of those from the beginning of creation uh, through the return of Christ who have put their trust in God for salvation will be able to enter into the kingdom and they will inherit the kingdom. So any questions at this point? Only about seven years worth of questions. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm sure we'll get to them all. I'm, I'm looking forward to Daniel. Uh, a lot okay, of I have a... <laughs> Go for it. <laughs> I have just a couple small questions. So in the order of resurrection, mm -hmm. resurrection of the church versus resurrection of the Old Testament and the resurrection of the people in the tribulation. Yeah they come at different times correct not that we can say dogmatically i don't think it really is separated by any time i think the resurrection in general happens uh, but there are group or we there are distinguishable groups of people that are resurrected the only one that occurs at a different time is the resurrection of those who have uh, died during the church age those are resurrected for a special resurrection uh, before the tribulation begins uh, at the time of the rapture. Uh, after that, when the Old Testament saints and the tribulation saints are resurrected, there's no indication that that is at a different time from one another. Um, it's just before the kingdom. Okay. Yeah. I, I just put the the Jews first because generally there's a... They, uh, um, to the Jew first and then to the Gentiles, but Old Testament saints, uh, those will be both Jews and Gentiles uh, or before Abraham, there never was a Jew. Uh, and then uh, actually Abraham himself wasn't really a Jew because to be a Jew, you had to come from Abraham and Sarah and from Isaac and be one of the 12 sons of Jacob by his four wives. So um, Abraham and Isaac themselves were not Jews. The uh, tribulation saints will also be Jews and Gentiles. Uh, the Jews do still keep their distinction as Jews, but as we'll see 
uh, next week, a lot of the privileges are very similar. There's still a difference in identity, uh, but not really in uh, in quality, I guess that is. All of God's children really are elevated to a uh, an equal level. That said, in the kingdom, Jews will have already been uh, prepared in a special way with the oracles of God, so people will be, I guess you could say, interested in spending time with them. They were the chosen people of God. They are the chosen people of God. Uh, but they'll be interested in spending time with them for the same reason we might be interested in spending time with uh, Daniel or uh, Noah or Adam uh, to see how God worked with them in their lives because he was really working with the Jews through most of human history where he wasn't dealing with the Gentile nations that had turned away from him. Uh, so there's simply going to be more to talk about with those Jews uh, throughout history than with other resurrected saints. Uh, <clears throat> so it'll kind of be like the distinction between men and women. There is a difference, but they are equal. Okay, and another timing question. Yeah. The rapture and the coming of Jesus, according to what you've been teaching, are two separate time frames. Rapture comes pre-trib, and second coming is post-trib. Yes, yeah. Because one is the return of Christ and one is the catching away. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. And the coming uh, of Jesus is at the end of the 45 days prior to the 1,000 years? No, the coming of Jesus um, starts that period of 75 days. Like That's what separates it from the kingdom. Christ returns or Jesus returns to the earth 75 days before he sets up the kingdom. At least that's what we can tell by uh, those extra dates that uh, Daniel puts in chapter 12. We know Christ comes uh, at the end of the tribulation period, and we know that there are judgments occurring between the return of Christ and the beginning of the kingdom. So what those judgments are, uh, we were able to, uh, to distinguish and only generally uh, put in any sort of order. Okay, so then what is the difference between the 30 days and the 45 days? Uh, the first 30 days seem to be kind of a cleanup mission where they're getting rid of the, the kingdom of the Antichrist, clearing out uh, the old temple, uh, which was where Satan was worshipped, uh, having the first resurrection of the Antichrist and casting him and the false prophet away, uh, judging and... Um, incarcerating satan and it's at that point where god then turns to resurrecting old testament saints so for example he is not going to resurrect the old testament saints while uh, the antichrist the uh, false prophet and satan are all still walking about on earth he's going to take care of them first and then he's going to begin preparations for the kingdom so first 30 days cleaning house uh 45 days before the kingdom begins, um, judgment on living believers, which may happen in the first 30 uh, or at the end of the first 30. Uh, but that seems to be the distinction that Daniel makes between the 30 and the 45 is that some aren't going to survive uh, that last period of 45 days either. Okay. 
and then the marriage supper of the lamb is that basically the same thing of the, the the night or the day of the second coming the marriage supper of the lamb being the celebration um of the the marriage between the uh the lamb the messiah and the church that marriage again took place already before christ returned uh which is a i think a pretty clear argument that that can't be the time of the uh, of the rapture because they'll already have been married uh, so i think that marriage takes place at the beginning of the like once the church is uh, is uh, raptured and before we even see the church in revelation chapter four that judgment and marriage has already taken place uh, they're already seated around the throne of god um, but the celebration for that comes after uh, that period so when he returns there are invited guests to celebrate that marriage. Uh, this is consistent then with marriage ceremonies in first century Israel and through most of um, Israel's history, where there would be a private ceremony first, and then guests would be invited to come and celebrate, usually for a period of seven days. Uh, however, all of that is sort of amplified here, where we have a private ceremony um, that appears to be seven years in heaven or right at the beginning of those seven years and then uh, after that the celebration begins some think that it'll it will be the first seven years of the millennial kingdom uh, others and i think there's better reason to believe this uh, believe that the entire millennial kingdom is uh, the wedding feast of the lamb the celebration of that marriage uh -huh. So I, I would say the whole kingdom is the marriage feast of the Lamb. Yeah. Okay, and then one last question. I'm sorry if I'm dominating this, but um, the difference between um, the uh, tribulation, mm -hmm. uh, the, the wrath of Satan versus the wrath of God. Yeah. So the wrath of, can you just clarify the difference there? Yeah, and the difference is seen in um, Revelation chapter 6, where the whole world understands that everything that's going on is the wrath of God. Um, from chapter 5, where, Satan, where, where uh, Jesus begins opening the scroll, uh, that scroll releases judgments on the earth. Uh, Jesus is the agent in charge of um, releasing that judgment. This is judgment from God on a rebellious earth, the world system of Satan. Um, uh, that distinction is drawn out really clearly in uh, the first epistle of John, which he wrote about five years before Revelation, where he makes just an absolutely stark contrast between here's the cosmos system, the system of the world uh, that is really ruled by the devil, and then here's the system of God. And as believers, we are to separate ourselves from that system of Satan and uh, become fully part of the system of God, because the rest of the world has the uh, expectation of judgment on them. Uh, John 16, 11 speaks of the three things that the Holy Spirit is convicting the unbeliever of, sin, righteousness, and judgment. And that judgment, because only unbelievers have the judgment of God coming on them. Uh, if we are Right. As as the church, that judgment having already been paid, there is absolutely no reason that the judgment of God will affect us in any single way. Uh, 
it would be completely un inconsistent with who we are as a church and what he's done on our behalf um, to then go and punish us in this wrath uh, of the tribulation period. This is for the cosmos system of Satan. This is judging the world that has rebelled against him and not the world that has been saved through him. So this, there, there just could not be a starker contrast between what is occurring at the tribulation period and who we are as a saved, redeemed people. Um, it would be wholly inconsistent with God's character and uh, revelation to put the church in the tribulation period. Okay, but the seals, the <clears throat> seven seals, right? Yeah. One through seven, four, five, and six. Mm-hmm fall in the second half right of the three of the seven year period in the, in the second three and a half year period and that falls underneath what some label as the wrath of satan which is that period of time before what you're just talking about the wrath of god i don't put any of the seals in the second half i don't put any of the trumpets in the second half i put them all in the first half of the tribulation all the first three and a half years yeah yeah okay only the bold judgments and uh, most most people spread them out for some reason. Uh, I think the first six seals come at the beginning. Uh, the first or the uh, the six seals come at the beginning. The seven trumpets come right before the midpoint, and I don't think there's much time between them. Um, I think it's all kind of thrown out there at once, and then right at the very end of the tribulation period come the seven bowls. Um, so I think it's three concentrated periods of judgment throughout that seven years.